Welcome to the Phil Hay Show. Collaboration podcast between us, the Square Ball and the Athletic. And from the Athletic, the guy with his name on the show, so he has to turn up. It's Phil Hay. Merry Christmas, everyone. And from the Square Ball, Michael Normanson. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. The Athletic have got 11 UK football podcasts out at the moment. This is one of them. They are all free and available now in the same place that you got this one. And you can also listen via The Athletic itself, which is where you will find all of Phil's brilliant writing. You can get yourself to theathletic.com now and subscribe with a 40% discount by using the code LEADSPOD. Well, have we all settled down now, further down the tracks from Cardiff, Phil? Because that all got a little bit exciting at the weekend, didn't it? It did a little bit. Yeah, we, we don't like excitement. I mean... I was sitting with Moscow in the first half and we were chatting on about something we, we mentioned on the podcast last week, which was whether it would be a kind of anticlimax for Liverpool to win the first title in 30 years by the end of February and whether it likewise it leads after all these years of slogging and, and misery, whether it needs to be a closer run thing for, for everybody to really feel it. And then all of a sudden 3-0 became 3-3 and the two of us were saying, no, do you know what? If it can be promotion by Easter, that will will yeah. do nicely. Yeah. I mean, Leeds have got a habit of throwing in games like that even when the going is good and, and not so much this season. It's probably the first one we've had where you've come away properly scratching your head. But it was it was pretty mystifying um, not only because the, the team who don't concede goals and suddenly looked like they were about to concede five in the last half hour, but but also because I don't think there are many games where they've played better than that first hour. Certainly Bielsa didn't think so. He thought it was, was some of their best. Um, it would be comfortably up with you know the West Brom game last season, the, the days when they've, they've looked almost unplayable. And against the Cardiff side, who are not special and not spectacular, but do know their way about the pitch and do know what they're doing, it, it wasn't the equivalent of Middlesbrough who looked like they were they were going to take a beating from the first kick. I mean, there are reasons for it and there were reasons why, it's, why it, it happened, but I'm still pretty baffled to be looking at that as a three-all draw, considering that I was a long way through writing my match report by 60 minutes. Well, you did say to us last week, you're one to watch, where you kind of predicted the thing, the issue or the player of the upcoming game, that there's the thing we need to keep an eye on. You said the opening 15 minutes uh, and you were right up to a point but that was only sort of a, a proportion of the story in the end yeah the opening 50 minutes plus the last 27 and actually the ones in between were, were pretty good as well um, yeah I, I, when I was looking before the game it, there was quite a pattern that Leeds never concede early on and, and Cardiff Cardiff are, are quite good at nicking early goals but are a bit patchy at the back as well and Leeds just went at them right from the off and, and you did think that the game plan for Cardiff was blown apart after 8 minutes and, and you didn't really think they were going to be able to settle themselves down I know um, Neil Harris moved Tomlin out wide just to change the the formation a little bit. But I honestly think that the, the issue on Saturday was as simple as they, they shipped a, a really poor, cheap goal to Tomlin. And suddenly everybody started to think at 3-1, well, if it, if it goes to 3-2, it's potentially a bit tense and a bit dicey, this. And you did just feel the atmosphere change a little bit in the stadium. From everybody preparing to go at full time and to, to kind of dwell on 3-0 going on 5-0, it was... Certainly at 3-2, you were sitting thinking, I'd be very happy if they get away with this now because they feel as if they've lost their shape and they've lost their composure and certainly lost their, their control at the back. And in a lot of ways, it was the final stages of the game that were that were more compelling than, than the start. But the start was excellent. The start was really good. And, and like I say, I still think it's as, as good as they've played under Bielsa at any stage. And you jinxed it again with your tweets, unfortunately. I know. I know, you know a, will you ever learn? That's a fuss for this season as well. <laughs> there are always times where you think you, you can't get stung with those because they're playing too well and the game is, is completely imbalanced. <laughs> um, but I should know by now, yes, and, and people didn't let me forget. Leeds hold my beer. Yes, 100%, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Bielsa said he couldn't explain it. 
Did he explain it in the press conference at all today? Because it was a very short one. You've just come from Thorpe Arch. Yeah, no, he's, he's been funny the last few weeks. He's been checking his watch on the way out and there was a big puff of the cheeks um, last Thursday because we'd been going on for about 45 minutes and he and everybody else looked a bit knackered by the end of it. And today was 40 minutes um, and he, he was having a joke on the way out saying nice and quick. That was that was good. But it's Christmas and everybody needs to to be places, things to do. So so we wrapped up pretty quickly. He said that he still doesn't think there's any way of explaining what happened and he said he wasn't particularly happy on the players because he did think that on the basis of the performance they they vastly exceeded their sort of average you know their average standard certainly in the first 65 minutes but I mean personally as I say I think the first goal made a difference because it gave Cardiff a sniff in a game that they thought they'd lost and even Neil Harris afterwards um, on Saturday kind of said to him he was asked to to explain what had gone on in the last half hour he did just kind of say well we scored and sometimes that changes everything and that was pretty much pretty much it but I didn't think the, the substitutions were particularly great I, I didn't understand the Ketia for Bamford because it didn't feel to me like Bamford was the issue it felt as if Leeds had lost their grip slightly in midfield they weren't pressing and they weren't dominating um, in quite the same way as they had been previously and in a way that Cardiff had been been struggling to cope with and that didn't seem like the obvious shift I thought Alioski's legs might have been helpful at that point um, but I do think as well when you look at the bench that there's a definite problem with the fact that on a day like Saturday he doesn't have a single midfielder on it doesn't have a single centre mid we've got Forshaw who is missing again for Fulham this weekend and has to be a worry with his fitness really it's been going on for a long time now and and I know the club would certainly not want him to go for an operation and would not want to lose him to that but you, you do feel that it can't be indefinite this that he's he's trying week after week to get back and and not quite making it but Shackleton wasn't available either and there was kind of no way of shoring up that area of the pitch not that Bielsa is really that way inclined at the best of times but I think that that was one way in which something like Forshaw I think would have made a huge difference in the last half hour on Saturday I think we just have calmed everything down and pretty much take the time away when Leeds needed them to why did we lose control in midfield? Do you think? I do think there was a there was a slight loss of energy there, but I also think everybody got tense and got tight after the first goal went in. I mean, there was nothing special about the first goal at all. Costa didn't close down Bennett. Casilla weak punch on the edge of the box. Nice finish from Tomlin. It was from from that position, but it was all a bit it was all a bit messy. It was all a bit cheap, and I do think that that from that point they realised that they'd been so in control and and suddenly they won. And again, there was that kind of atmosphere in in the crowd and. I don't think were we surprised by that late goal when it not went by in? the third one. I was no. still quite comfortable with their after their first because I just thought, okay, they've got one. But if we if we score number four and number five, yeah, that's still fine. The second one, then it was, yeah, they're probably going to equalise. Now it would have been more of a a surprise, a pleasant surprise if we'd got out with three two. But there was that little bit of false hope when they had a man sent off at three two, and you thought. Actually, maybe this will take the sting out of it, particularly because he's one of their taller, more physical players, and that's where they were causing his problems. So you thought, okay, maybe we've got away with this one. It was heading for three three, but maybe it's one of those great seasons where everything actually goes right for us. There were just little mistakes as well. I mean, I've I've noticed with Ben White, I think over the past couple of weeks, he's looked suddenly that little bit less comfortable than he was. Huddersfield were pretty good at unsettling him, and on on Saturday it was it was him who lost Morrison for the free header, and it was him who let Glatzel get away from him and, and in behind Struik for. The three all draw, and it does kind of remind you that he, he is new to the championship this season and he cannot be Berezi every week. But just little errors that haven't been there before, which I think is why defence who conceded what 10 goals in 21 games were suddenly conceding three in, in 27 minutes. And I don't get the sense that, well, I mean, Bielsa would never let on, I don't think, that, that he'd taken the players to the cleaners, and he might well have done in, in the analysis session on Monday. But I don't think he'll look at that and feel that there's any great 
any great problem he needs to worry about. And you'll see that in the fact that he'll basically name the same team on Saturday, I would assume, with Liam Cooper added to the defence. So does he do that? Will he sit them down and say, this is where you were wrong on, on Saturday, this is what they, you did wrong? They do They do team meetings constantly and analysis sessions. I think, as I said on, on about other aspects of his management, it has been toned down slightly this season. It's not quite as full-on and, and intense as it was in his first year. I think even he's realised that you've got to find the right balance between flogging the players as he likes to but not flogging them to the point where they're all they're all dead on their feet mentally and, and physically but they do they, they have meetings all the time they go over constantly what your previous games um, analysis sessions like a, like a lot of clubs do so he will have he will have put them through that I don't think there's any question but um, from him speaking today he seemed like having watched it back that he, he was quite content with a lot of what had gone on during the game and I mean Cardiff pretty much got all the attributes you need to get at Leeds which is height ability to get the ball in the box and ability to to kind of mix it in that area. And I suppose if there was one team who were going to cut a 3-0 deficit in that way, it was probably them. Yeah, I think you'd hoped by the time we were three goals clear of them, we'd sorted that out. It was um, it was a strange... Thinking about your, your idea of watching the first 15 minutes, it was different watching Leeds in that time to how it has been, because I've said a few times on the Square Ball podcast about how we seem to take those first 15 minutes, a lot of matches, just very calmly and watch watch what the opposition are going to do and see what they're about. And there was a, a change in, in Leeds going absolutely flat out from the, the first whistle um, that maybe the, the Middlesbrough game has given them a taste for a, mm-hmm. an early lead. And then I noticed in um, Bielsa's press conference today, he's, he's pointed out that we did make two chances after it was 3-3 as well. So it was actually, we were good at the start, we were good at the end. And so I imagine he'll have, he'll have dwelt on the um, on the, the errors for the goals. Phillips, you'd hoped he would have stopped Tomlin from flicking that ball through as well. So there's, there's kind of a, a run of, of mistakes leading up to the equaliser. And then the way the rest of it was, the rest of it was so good that we were, yeah. we were, um, we were too relaxed. I which, don't even think around we the goals, it was terrible. No. I don't think that the performance was terrible. It was the, it was the goals themselves that you, that you looked at and thought they haven't been conceding like that at, at any stage. And it's still, it's still a point in a long unbeaten run. And, I think he'd be happy, Bill. So he'll, he'll be happier if he gets to. I mean, I, I, I wrote my piece on Monday on the Manager of the Month award, which Leeds basically never win. And I was working out back to 2004, won it four times, of which Bielsa has won it twice. And he's only been here for 18 months. So not prolific in that field. But actually, there is no such thing as a, a myth. It, uh, no such thing as a curse. It is a bit of a myth, and the, the numbers don't add it up you're more likely to win your next game as a manager than, than you are to lose it but I think he'll be he'll probably be more content if rather than winning this award if he's nominated for the next one because then it will be clear that that particular result was a bit of a blip and the form is still intact and, and they're still looking good and, and if they go to Fulham and win which they've got every chance of doing they've got every chance of dropping points there as well because they are a very good team albeit a bit out of form then it'll be 50 points at Christmas which is absolutely excellent it would be everything he'd hope for and more, I think, even after last season. The problem is, is that we can kind of tend to panic, don't we, when yeah. this, this little thing happens, when we do a Leeds, as it's so, known. Somebody said to me when I came out, it's, it's like revisiting. It is, I mean, I said to them, it's like post-traumatic stress, isn't it? It's yeah. like revisiting all the, the moments before over the past 15 years and asking that question, is this again the point at which it all starts to starts to implode? But I don't see that and... and I think the table's looking so good that they've bought themselves the, the ability to have throw in a result like that and to throw in a few results like that. They can get away with it and, and they don't. I don't think they need to worry too much about that on Saturday. But the players will have been seriously annoyed about mm. it, I think. It was just a, it was just a, a 
very, very winnable game, um, which had basically been won that ultimately ended in a draw. Very Leedsy. I mean, Fulham, they're in terrible form, but on paper it's yeah. quite a tough one, isn't it? I mean, we, we were in London this week, um, start of the week, for the um, Football Supporters Association Awards. Ironically enough, we lost out the podcast award to a Fulham podcast, which Boom. is funny, yeah. Fulhamish, congratulations on their win. Some Leeds fans weren't quite as charitable to them on Twitter when we congratulated them, but we will move on from that. But of course, we had a listen to it, didn't we? Like, you know, you want to know what you've lost out to. So we had a listen, and they're not very confident at all. It's, it's, no. It seems to me that we all we think everyone else is brilliant and we're the only ones that worry, but they do as well. I mean, to be fair to them, the three games they've lost have been top six games, and in a lot of ways, that a lot of ways that is a that is a concern because those are the games that kind of dictate the season and dictate how the table lies at the end of it. But they were beaten by Brentford last weekend, and they they invariably do drop points against Brentford. That's a really difficult um, difficult fixture for them. And Preston and, and Bristol City is uh, certainly as we find with Preston are decent when they play well. They they know what they're doing. So I don't think they they go down as shocking results. It's just games that had they won and had they had they edged them they'd actually be right in the mix for the top two in a way that, that they really aren't at the moment and I mean, I, I'm, I'm loath to say this but if if they lose on Saturday they're a long way back and it, it becomes a really difficult gap to cut and they've got so much up front they've got Mitrovic who is up to 16 goals which is pretty ridiculous at this stage of the season they've got Cavalero who really quick really dangerous they've got Knockart who by all accounts hasn't been as good as he should have been he looked like the best of the signings particularly when you remember how he used to play in this league for Brighton and Kearney as well who I think has been good goals and assists but you know not quite quite at his peak so they've got that feeling of a side who could quite easily click at any stage and do what they used to do a couple of years ago which is reel off eight, nine, ten wins and, and get themselves um, right in, in the mix but at the same time if they're not very confident down there I can understand why because they are shipping goals and they don't look like a perfectly balanced team to me My instinct with Fulham is that Scott Parker needs to stay in the job for just long enough that they can't catch us up later in the season <laughs> so it feels like they've got the squad that a good manager could probably turn them around pretty quickly and, and like say put together a run, a run of ten wins or something which given our current position I don't know I'd still feel a bit hesitant about whereas if we can be you know 18 points ahead of them when that happens then that's fine I was just going to say Jukanovic always used to do that didn't he he always used to always used to be a lull at some point in the first half of the season and then something would click and essentially all their very very good players would show themselves to be very good and before you knew it they were right on everybody's tail and, and looking like the, the big threat and I think in terms of the top two that's certainly what they're going to have to do again they do seem a bit of a, a ragged bunch as well. They, they have this habit of chucking in red cards here and there as well and then odd results where there's the, the attacking talent that they have doesn't seem to be backed up by the discipline that you probably need at the top of the table. And it's one of the sort of underrated things about Leeds this year that Calvin aside, we've been we've been absolutely fine in, in terms of the, the disciplinary tables. There's been no no real stupidity going on, but the thinking of the um the guy who got sent off against Preston who just absolutely smashed into somebody on the edge of the penalty area. And it's like one of those ridiculous things that you kind of feel like if you are going for a, a top two position, you've got to be, you can't be doing that in the first 25 no, minutes of a game like and getting a red card. The face and it's, a, it's an easy, easy three-match ban. I, I still think though that they're probably the only side who I look at in the division and think have the potential to be an awful lot better than they are at the moment I don't really feel that about many of the other teams who are, who are down below Leeds but they they're the sort of team who if you, if they started to click properly with Cavalero and Mitrovic and Knockhart and, and Kearney could win games in this league forever really um, but they obviously have problems at the back and it doesn't seem like Parker's managed to managed to get the right balance between the goals they score and, and the goals they, they concede but I think it will be very open on Saturday and I think it will be 
I, I don't think I'd be any more keen to call it than Fulhamish, to be honest. <laughs> Very good. So are we just saying then that we're hoping they don't click on Saturday? Is that about the size of it, just that they continue their sort of fair to middle in form? Two things. I hope Leeds defend better than they did in the last half hour against Cardiff because although Fulham aren't going to go at them in the way that Cardiff did, it isn't going to be long ball football and it isn't going to be attacking them with throw-ins and, and crosses and so on. It, they will they will try to get in behind the full-backs and, and lay on cutbacks to, to Mitrovic for him to score from, from close range. So it might suit them better to try and defend against that. And obviously the, the flip side is that the leads are very, very good on the counter and they'll probably have a lot of opportunity to play that way on, on Saturday if they, they want to let Fulham come on to them. So yeah, if, if they click going forward, you would expect them to score at some stage because they have those players. But I think, um, I think Leeds would be pretty confident about this. You have to go into every game in confidence because we're a good side. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But it'd probably be the first time this season... And I include Millwall and Charlton in this because that was early in the season and Millwall, Berardi was sent off early on and things happen after that in, in the way that they do. But this will probably be the first time this season where the players feel the need to reassert themselves a bit after what happened last Saturday because there'll be a, a bit of a loss to believe that result still. And this is where it can creep. This is where you can draw with Cardiff when you shouldn't have done you can lose at Fulham which is a really difficult game away you've got West Brom on New Year's Day which you know is real 50-50 game and, and you want to come out on the other side of it in very good shape and, and in just as good a league position and, and you want to avoid coming out of it feeling like you've lost your way slightly so I think I think they'll be conscious of that that creeping feeling that the doubt starts to creep in yeah, now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And not just with them, you know, with, with the crowd as well. But I think it would take it would take a few bad weeks for that, I think, because they've been they've been so good for so long that there's still bundles of confidence around the place. You, you do feel that. We had it after the, the seven game winning run last year when we, we lost three out of the next four. And we could technically do that and we'd still be in the top two positions because mm. of that gap. But let's not do that. <laughs> like that's, that's what we need to avoid, especially with the teams that were up against over the next four games it is right it's time to just go right that that happened just three random goals against not even not even under pressure at the time it's not like we were under bombardment we just let three stupid things happen and then get out of the way stop yeah and stop doing there was even a little bit of uh, conversation going into the Cardiff game where some people saying like maybe we do just need a a knock to keep this realistic because you know we were on the the gantry at at two and up three and up kind of chatting about how brilliant it is watching Leeds now and, yeah, and not really worrying lot, about really, the... Uh, it's, our, it's our fault, yeah. We weren't really worried about the result from that point. It was just, oh, let's just sit back, enjoy this and see how many we score. And going maybe going with that mindset to Fulham might have been a, a worse way of going forward. I've got a piece with William Cooper coming out next week and I spoke to him two days before the Cardiff game and was sort of saying to him, you know, there must be the sense that this is the, this is the one and this is why it's going to happen. Uh, it's going to happen this time round because you're in such a good position because the points are better this year than last year and they were they were very, very good last year. And he just said straight up, he said, the thing about last year though is that we balls it up in the end and because we did, it's really difficult at any stage to go away and think to yourself, ah, this is in the bag, you know, this this will be fine. And then lo and behold, two days later, you have a game like that and it does just make you think. But I don't think those 27 minutes detract from not even just two, like a couple of months of good football a season a very good football so far they, I think they're in really good shape I don't think Saturday changes that particularly and Bielsa seemed completely unruffled today I was out of breath actually when he got there it was as if he'd sprinted off the training ground and I tell you this he's never ever late he's always bang on half past 12 every time I'm very apologetic when he is late 
But he's never late. Do you know there have been occasions? <laughs> there have been occasions where he's had to rearrange, um, and we always get a we always get a sincere apology from him. <laughs> Last season, when his old translator Slim Lamrani turned up late, Bielsa made him apologise to us for arriving late. Made him sit and explain to us why it was that he turned up three minutes late. And um, so he's a he's a real stickler for that as he is for for a lot of things. But it was it was obviously such a scramble today that he was still in his coat and uh, and he was slightly out of breath. But good on him, like like Phileas Fogg. He was there right on the dot. Let's talk a little bit about Helder Costa now and whether we think that one's worked out quite well because you've done a piece on this one, Phil, which is on The Athletic. And we've said on our podcast and we said on here as well in recent weeks, we think he's really kind of growing into it. How, how do you think that is gauged as a transfer now? Is it moving towards success? I agree. It's been a slow burn with him, but I do think over the past three, four, five weeks, he's looked like he's more comfortable in his skin at least. He, he looks like he, he's he's fitting in better like his rhythm's coming and I do think at his best he's looked like he's looked like a player who's just about worth the money that, that Leeds are paying for him we've spoken previously about the fee and it is extremely large it is going to be very very expensive and the reason they've committed to it is because they think he, he is that good I mean he couldn't get in the team to begin with which obviously wouldn't have helped him particularly and he does strike me as a player who probably benefits from a decent run in the side from a decent amount of confidence and, and the, probably the feeling that he is in form and, and he does know what's what's going on. I mean, I still think he looks at his best and at his most dangerous when Leeds play on the counter, which was like his opening goal on, on Saturday, which was just terrific in the way it was constructed and with his finishing. I think there's the scope and the stats bear it out. There's a scope for him to be far more accurate with his deliveries from out wide and he is getting into a lot of positions where he could be doing damage and I certainly had him down to blame slightly for the second goal on Saturday he could see the threat from Joe Bennett when the free kick went out wide to the left wing and he and he dithered and he stood and he looked and it was a kind of half-hearted effort to get out there and, and stop the cross although obviously Ben White did lose Sean Morrison in the middle as well so it's kind of like a, a, the old catalogue of, of errors and, and a little bit of that for the first goal as well just didn't close down Bennett as quickly as he could have done but I think he's I think he's coming on whether or not he looks like a, a £60 million player yet I, I don't know I think that would, would be a stretch but players do tend to get better under Bielsa and we've kind of seen it with Harrison this season he has definitely benefited from having 12 months with Bielsa and of developing through that and, and he looks like a, a better player now and I think with Costa I think it's going the same way I think it is gradually What do you think he does that's, that's different from other managers Bielsa that, that makes it that way? It's a good question that I I think he's very good at, at looking at the, the individual strengths of players. So we we were saying about Phillips, the way he was able to identify in the way that nobody else had, that he had a, an out-and-out defensive midfielder there rather than the midfielder who Christensen has sort of tried to, to play, not quite as a number 10, but, you know, in the, the sort of clique eight role of getting into the box and who others had just played as a kind of flap centre mid on the, the halfway line. And Cooper as well. I mean, we, we're talking about his form and his performances uh, under... Bielsa and, and I thought it was quite interesting he, he was saying to his mind it suits his game better so he's a player who likes to pass the ball he, he thinks his distribution's good he thinks he can play like that he doesn't mind playing under pressure against a high press and also the movement of the players in front of him the way Bielsa gets them to rotate gives him loads of options where to you know where to send the ball so, so it works and he kind of said in previous seasons in a lot of ways Leeds have defended too much. They've been too defensive and, and there's been too much defending to do, which has meant that for somebody like Cooper, that better aspect of his game, as he sees it, and I agree, I have to say from watching him, I do think he's, he's far better when he's in a team like this. It wasn't really able to come out because if you think of the Monk team, it was 
numerous clearances and headers and defensive work all the way through 90 minutes and it worked for Monk it was pretty you know it was good up until the the very end but I think Cooper kind of felt that that wasn't bringing him on and it wasn't helping him to to develop and that does seem to be how it goes really he's able to pick out what players do well and and he's obviously able to make them think that they're they're able to improve as Mm. well and there's some exceptions I mean Izzy Brown didn't work You'd have to say that that Jack Clark hasn't been well. I mean, hasn't even played this season, but evidently hasn't got to the point where Bielsa feels like he has to have him in his team. Has Nketi improved under him? I don't know. I haven't seen enough of Nketi previously for Arsenal's under twenty threes to know whether he, he is a better player now than than he was. But you could go through a, a good number who have Harrison being a good example. But Cooper and Phillips, I think, probably two of the two of the best. And and I think that is it. I think he he just plays to their strengths. There does seem to be like an adaptation of the the players to the system where once they work out what their role in it is, Bielsa's football has this reputation of being this incredibly complicated, mysterious thing that you need this three-month kind of introductory series of lectures to understand, which is probably true. But then once it's all set and once the players seem to have understood their roles, we saw the way they started against Stoke at the start of last season. You had a, a lot of players who, I think the instructions, once you've got the theory... The instructions are actually quite. Maybe it's like learning to drive a car. You get you get all the stuff about how the engine works and all this. But actually, all you need to know is where you're putting the keys in and, and forward. Berardi's quite. Analogy that yeah, a, get, the, get the get the feeling for it. Berardi's know? quite a good example because if you watch when he comes in the team, he doesn't play like Cooper and he doesn't play like White. He's he's obviously been told right when you're on the pitch within this team, you keep it really simple. You clear. This is easier passing zones. He does pass more than he would, but he he seems to keep it much more on a kind of a a very lim, not limited makes it sound like it, a criticism. He's a five yard, ten yard passes. Yeah, he? so he's he's not expected to do to do more. So once the the structure's in place, you then go to a play and say, right, within this complicated thing, you're doing these these actions. And once you start doing them, I think that's what we're seeing with Costa a bit. He's now understanding his role, seeing it's working, and starts to feel better about it. It's like, oh, all I have to do in this incredibly complicated machine is this and it works really well I think with Liam Cooper as well you see now when he goes off to play for Scotland he turns into Liam Cooper of 2016 again doesn't he that he looks unsure yeah, of himself that effect on, <laughs> on everybody but actually I mean I think it was against Russia I was watching the game and I was watching what, what he was doing and he was marking man for man in the way that Bielsa does so he was following Russian players out and, and kind of leaving gaps in behind and it did kind of make you realise that he's so computerized so programmed to do that under Bielsa and it works so well that I would assume two or three days of coaching with Steve Clark with Scotland isn't enough for everybody to properly I mean Scotland are a shambles and <laughs> like to, to properly understand are they are they marking zonally are they going man for man I mean man for man's pretty unusual and quite a lot of the the championship managers say when they talk about Bielsa's leads that you have to you have to give that some thought because you don't see it very often you don't see players sticking to to an individual man as, as much as they do and you're right he hasn't looked good for, for Scotland Cooper but I think everybody looks appalling for, for Scotland at the moment <laughs> so I, I, I definitely I definitely forgive him that but you're right about Berardi I mean last season it was very obvious that playing out from the back the ball they were looking for more than anything was either Cooper diagonals or Cooper to Douglas or whoever it was on the left wing it really was Cooper who was spreading the ball about and they've got White now who I think is every bit as good as Cooper at doing that but previously it was a case of Brady knowing his role and Cooper knowing what to do when when the ball came to his feet and, and uh, how to distribute it, it properly and yeah again I, I think it's right I think 
Berardi probably knows his limitations. Bielsa probably knows Berardi's limitations. So they figured out what he needs to do, what it, what they want him to do. And, and more often than not, it does mm. work. So I guess that's the challenge for any transfer coming in is to understand the role and then act it in real life, I guess. It takes rehearsal almost, if you like. Yeah, well, I mean, Cooper was saying to me that when Bielsa came in, he, he said to them, training is, you're going to find training repetitive. You're going to find it boring because that's what I do. I think when he said, I think boring, I think what he meant was just the, the constant, constant going over the same same systems, the same strategies, the, the same sort of, um, plan of plan of attack. But Cooper said it, it's all about it becoming second nature and it is for them. And, and I said to him, quite a few people will sit with me and, and say, I don't really understand how Leeds play. Like I don't, I, I don't understand how they know what they're doing because it is structured, but it isn't, if you know what I mean. There are times where the players just rotate all over the pitch and, and it's not a... I mean, we were saying at the start with Cardiff, a 4-4-2, which is the easiest you know, formation to follow in the world. And there been periods with Leeds, I think particularly of Reading away, where you can't really work out what the formation <laughs> is. But the reason it works is because they've, they've gone over it so many times and the players now understand where they're supposed to be, where other players are supposed to be. And it does just click and that is just from hammer, hammer, hammer on the training ground. And it is fair to say that if you're somebody like Costa coming in cold in the summer, and that's what one of the reasons I've been so impressed with Ben White, is that it is it must be really difficult to pick that up. Particularly when everybody else has had a year on the on the job already. It's quite interesting looking at Patrick Bamford when you look at the players. We've got a, a list here in front of us of players who've come in, the major uh, incomings over the last couple of years in terms of Izzy Brown, all the way back to Barry Douglas. But Bamford's the one that stands out as somebody who's really gone through this journey and evolved into this sort of roughhouse championship striker now when he used to be a little bit of a lightweight kind of posh boy was the the you know the running joke that we've got on the other podcast. Yeah, like he he was the violinist, wasn't he? He was the guy who everybody always assumed had a wealthy upbringing, probably had so much money that he, he drives a nice McLaren F1. Does does he need football? You know, is the sort of drive there? If it all went south tomorrow, would it really matter? But then you watch him play and you think, actually, yeah, it would. And I've been really surprised to find that he seems to enjoy being public enemy so much. I mean, you can see that role for somebody like Steve Morrison or, you know, a striker of, of that ilk. But I never, I never expected it of Bamford at all. And I think you need a little bit of that. And I, I think it does help to kind of distract attention from, from other players. I think he's, He's been, he's actually he's been good at scoring goals recently, which what we you know we've we've all kind of criticised him for in, in periods, but he's actually been really good at, at kind of leading leading from the front in a way that puts a lot of pressure on himself. He he, he takes a lot of hammer from centre backs. He takes a lot of hammer from the crowd, and I think it does just keep Leeds going. It keeps Leeds mm. ticking over. And I've said this before, but there isn't a single player in the dressing room apart from Niketi, I suppose, who would want Bamford to be dropped for Niketi up front. There isn't anybody who would want Bamford to be taken out of the team because he is so effective and they, they do think the world of him. And you look at his progress and you think, I mean, anybody who's been in a job where you work for a boss who you don't like, it's the difference between making your job and breaking you in that job, isn't it? So maybe just Bielsa and the coaching staff are the people that he needed just to bring that out of him and say, come on, just rough it up a bit. Yeah, it's that thing of you're going to play regardless, you know, whether whether or not. And, and I know Bielsa was was basically at the point of buckling in, in early November when he felt like he needed to give Niketi a run, but he has... He's kept going with Bamford regardless of what people have, have said and makes me think a little bit of when Alan Shearer used to talk about the Euros in, in 96 about the fact that there was a lot of talk about him not scoring goals should he be in the team and Venables just said to him I'm not being funny but you're going to play every game for me you'll, you'll be up front no matter what's what's going on and it feels a little bit like that with, with Bamford and, and that's 
that's why Nketiah is in this kind of cul-de-sac at the moment because if Bamford is fit until the end of the season and playing relatively well then Bamford will play until the end of the season and there is only one centre forward in the team and okay you know Nketiah got a little run on on Saturday but he's Bielsa's man and I don't see that changing I feel like part of the early clamour this year for Nketiah as well was that there was still a bit of residual bad feeling about Bamford from the end of last season where on reflection you have to look at the way he plays now and assume he wasn't fully fit at the end of last year because he's now making these runs where he goes from goal line to goal line within 13 seconds or whatever it was whereas if you look at him in that derby game he was huffing and puffing and he couldn't get around the pitch Richard Keogh looked to have the measure of him and I, I can't imagine him putting in a performance like that anymore You didn't have the full pre-season though did he last season he was signed part way through pre-season His leg yeah. got smashed twice remember he, he had the car crash injury in a reserve game well a, a metaphorical car crash you mentioned Richard Keogh had the, the real car crash but I think his his leg was was on those uh, yeah, on that level twice posterior ligament which they say is what you do I mean I've no experience this but it's what you do in a car crash because you whatever you hit that's what, what does does the damage I think as well in that squad he had a player who in that particular season looked more suited to playing under Bielsa than he did in Kamar Roof and Roof had been very good in the first leg away at Derby had scored had generally all season had seemed a bit more in tune with the with running the channels with all the link up play and everything else and you felt like Bamford was just a, a few yards behind all of that and then comes into the team against Derby I don't remember him having a desperately poor game against Derby but I can't really remember him doing anything, and and on that basis, he he you know he didn't play play well enough. But again, it's probably helped him slightly that that Roof's gone. He's number one, which is what what he wanted to be, and he, he has basically got Bielsa saying to him, "You'll play no matter what. You know, as long as you're not as long as you're making the effort, and as long as you're not appallingly bad, you you'll be in the team." And he's been a hundred times better than that. And and as I say, I think he's an automatic pick at the moment. What do you think it takes then to make it as a, as a transfer at Leeds? It's an interesting question because we we kind of we're within the bubble as Leeds fans, and you you've got to, you know step back from this. I think a lot of them have fallen short because they were never good enough in the first place, and it sounds a bit disrespectful that. But if you're trying to be a side who are going to get promoted from the Championship, and you're in a division where you have. Cavaleros and Knockarts and Mitrovic's and Kearney's and so on. And, and I know I'm focusing on the one team, but even down at West Brom, Pereira and, and Charlie Austin, you know, guys who are who are gonna do it consistently and, and who are gonna who are gonna cost a lot of money and are, are then gonna look like the best players in the division. It's a high standard to match. And I think over the years, Leeds have been guilty of signing too many players who fall into that kind of grey area in the middle of the championship where they might help you finish 8th, they might help you finish 10th, 15th, but you're not going to get promoted with them. And outside the Premier League, there probably aren't many more pressurised clubs to play for. There certainly aren't many fan bases who have been let down more often for as long. And I don't think there's undue impatience at Ellen Road, but I think there is the after effect of 15 years of of, yeah, of, of total disappointment and, and almost that expectation that you're going to be disappointed or if it looks like that's the way it's going, that you, you kind of lose faith with, with whoever's on the pitch. And in a lot of ways, I sympathise with quite a few guys who've, who've come into the club and have probably thought great move but then in actual fact have got in and found that either they're not up to it or the, the squad isn't up to it isn't strong enough and have left without making a scratch and, and it's a hard club to make an impact at do you think are we, are we more unforgiving than other fans do you think it's hard to say because I don't I'm not around other clubs enough to know but I don't think with the crowd at Ellen Road are I don't think they're unduly unforgiving I think it, there does come a point where it's very reasonable to say we expect better than this and, and we want better than this and I think they've been 
I think there's there's been it's been easy to support Bielsa's team because they've won a lot of games. But at the same time, I do think the crowd have have been really good at, at sticking with them when it's when it's not been so great. You can still feel that little bit of tetchiness because a bit like Saturday, it is that thing of is this happening all over again? And are we going to get hit again, smashed in the teeth? And everybody knows that the, the, the kind of backdrop to this season is that if they don't go up Bielsa goes players go it, it becomes you know potentially becomes a, another sort of rebuild which which nobody's looking for so it is tough and it is hard and, and I spoke to Richard Naylor about this and he said the thing you've got to be able to do with the crowd is to switch off when they're, they're getting at you you've got to be able, he, the way he put it was that he didn't have a huge amount of talent on the ball he wasn't a technically brilliant player so defensively if the ball came through to him and he had to stick it in the crowd and people moaned him then he wasn't bothered because it was what he had to do opposition hadn't scored and it was kind of the limit of of his talent and ultimately in that season the 2009-10 season they did go up Um, and I think if you can think like that and you can you can play to your strengths regardless of what's going on round about you then you will be fine and if you can't then you'll most certainly not be fine and, and you'll be swallowed pretty quickly and I would say the time I've done this job I've seen more players been swallowed quickly than players who have really thrived. <laughs> there was a moment on Saturday, I'm pretty sure we were 2-0 up and we fluffed a chance to get into the box and score a third and the reaction was in the crowds if it, as if it had happened at 0-0. It wasn't a, a case of, you know, we're, we're cruising here and we've, uh, we've we've not managed to score a third. It was it was that, that instinctive anger that I think is probably still stored up from the players who were here before. You were right when you mentioned quality because when you think, well, why did the transfers under Cellino not work out? It's like, well, because Mirko Antonucci was never that good. You know, Dakara was never that good. Uh, Tamani Diaraga was brought in as like, he's going to be the the midfield linchpin. He's not that good. So it, the, there was no real surprise when the crowd started to feel let down. And they still enjoyed a reasonable level of support. I mean, even after the 6-6 stuff, you will still hear people say, oh, you know, Antonucci was a decent player for us. And suppose he, he was in what you're talking about that kind of mid-table championship level but he was never going to be good enough to do much more than than that no matter who we put around him so but I think we we haven't moved far enough on from because that lasted for so long basically from the start of the decade until Bielsa arrived and he, we had that little bit under Monk when it was it was okay but the the muscle memory is still very instinctively to be you know if, if Jack Harrison who has scored he's got five assists in five games and however many goals as well and then he misses one cross useless why is he even in the team there's a, there's an interesting bit of historical context I think because if you think about how the United fan base is made up in the club's history you think back to the, like what is now the older generation lived through the Revy years and were basically the best team in the world and then you fast forward to like the people who are moving towards middle age now uh, saw the 1990 to 1992 phase and then you look at the Champions League so we've had these little pockets of success all within living memory so there's kind of a, a, a what you might term a success every now and then that kind of raises expectations so high followed by an almighty lull afterwards yeah. or in between that kind of but the historical context is Leeds United should be brilliant and then I think it's frustrating when we're not this has probably been the longest lull no I mean this is you know this is going on now towards little by little towards 20 years although you hope this will this will be the end of it and it's a long long period for a ground that big which is full so regularly to have so little to to cling to which is why well, I guess why so much is made of the promotion in 2010 from a league that you know Leeds, Leeds should really have been walking in, in a lot of respects and why so much is made of the, the win at Old Trafford even though Leeds were a, a League One team at the time and nobody would want to go go back to that point that, that you know the, the beauty of that game was the fact that 
Leeds were such a low level team on that day that it was it was remarkable that they went there and and beat Ferguson's side, which, if we're being honest, is not the way anybody wants it to be. You don't particularly want to be going to Old Trafford as as outsiders and, and rank outsiders as as they were. We'll be favourites next year, don't worry. Do you know, though, I, I watched that game back in full yesterday, the FA Cup game, and I must be honest and say I've forgotten how well Leeds played. Mm. Honestly, I have. Watching it from, from start to finish, I thought they were comfortably the better side. They were on the front foot pretty much from the off and pretty much right through the game, with the exception of probably 70 minutes onwards when it got into that little tense period of thinking, right, were almost there but even after that brought on Snodgrass and there was a bit of injection of, of urgency and it surprised me to see how thoroughly deserved that win was even though it was deserved on the basis that there was this massive gulf between the two teams and, and any League One side that goes there and wins deserves it no matter how the, the game has gone it made me wonder if that team's a bit a bit underrated really if people underestimate how good a side Grayson had back then because they, they were really 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 exceptional but what else has there been in 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 these 15 years to compare to, to those two days well, there was the Spurs game nothing. the Spurs game straight afterwards and when you think of those two matches I think what was so good about Old Trafford and White Hart Lane was it was it was a reminder to everybody it's like we are still good and it was it was letting everybody know like you might be the Premier League champions we might be in League One but we are still better than you and <laughs> you know we it gave us the, the right to say that and I think the uh, what what's interesting about the the story from the last 15, 20 years is how much of it is still, when we talk about the way we feel about the club as it is, we're still, it was so fast dropping from the Champions League semi-final. Like when the Riviera era ended, there was like five years of kind of UEFA Cup and nothing and then gradually got relegated. Then the Wilkinson era kind of tailed off, but then it came, it revived under O'Leary. Whereas this was one moment, Champions League semi-final and the next moment, nothing, relegation and League One before you could almost blink. So it's always been this story and still is of getting back to that it's not about being becoming a big club again it's like we were we were there we closed our eyes blinked and then we, we were here and that's where we need to be back to so we've mm. never we've never got the Champions League semi-final off our shoulder I think it's we'll hear it again in the Arsenal game was just 18 years ago they were in a Champions League semi-final it's kind of died off a, a little bit but for for so long every time we were on TV it's like who would think this was the team that was in the Champions League semi-final you know so those words were always dominating everything about Leeds United so you, you'd look at Antonucci you'd think Champions League semi-final this isn't going to get us there yeah. it's that, that desperate gap and not only the players though it should be said that there are quite a lot of players in this squad who under Heckingbottom in particular but Christensen you'd have said well they're not going to get us there either then you get a coach in like Bielsa who is a level up from he so is Champions the, League isn't he so yeah. many of the coaches that they've had so I think you could apply it to that side of it as well it's mm. not just purely on the pitch you know a lot of the appointments particularly through the, the Chileno period were not good enough to mm. to push not good enough to improve what they had which wasn't really good enough in not good enough in to improve first, Forest Green some of the appointments <laughs> It's a probably fair comment. Well, I was going to say before, Moscow, is you're right, it does feel like we're still on a journey back. It's not that we are a championship club, we are a Premier League club that's on the way back there, and we have been for 15 years. <laughs> well, I, I went to see Don Matteo last week, who obviously has been ill and, and is, is fighting on and, and doing well and, and nice and, and upbeat and, and positive about everything. But he was saying to me, 
uh, a while back that he couldn't believe that he was still getting letters from people saying, can you sign this photo from the San Siro? Because, not because he had a problem doing it and, and he said it's always nice to be remembered, but he just thought that 20 years on, there'd be so much else in between that, yeah, people would remember it and they'd, you know, they'd still talk about it and they'd, they'd still love the memories, but it wouldn't be the sort of thing that people would be going back to time and time again and, and, and still taking that much interest in. And, and I was saying to him, but what has there actually been since then? You know, what, what else is there that people would want same photos of? I'm and, sure Anthony Elding gets them through the post <laughs> every the, week. That header against... Please, please sign this for me. Whoever it, or Paul Vale or whoever it was, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's a fact though and... and you know, with the exception of Bristol Rovers and Old Trafford and potentially White Hart Lane, which photos would you be looking to get signed? House and away at Carlisle? It, it is that that sort of thing? But any of Becchio, just any of Becchio doing anything. <laughs> and Bataka. If you want to be on the Phil Hayes show, you can. Drop us a voice memo on our WhatsApp number, which is a UK number, 07899 uh, As an extension, I guess, of what we were just talking about, uh, the psychology at Leeds, let's hear from Tom. Morning, gents. Uh, last Christmas on by one, providing the Christmas soundtrack to this podcast. Uh, my name's Tom from Leeds. I'm just wanting to know whether you all think Leeds have got enough in the tank to get over the line this season. We're not going to be signing anybody in January. Uh, that's on record and out there. Do you think, with everybody else, probably going to be signing people and strengthening, we'll have enough to get us over the line? Oh, not not this question. <laughs> Beautiful oh, festive no. soundtrack. Do you know what? I, I've I've thought of a good answer to this. Oh, go on. Uh, and my answer to this is, yes, we have got enough to get us over the line. Whether we will or not is dependent on how we react to what comes in front of us. We've got, I think we've got, we're capable of it, more than capable of it. Good answer, sit on the fence. Yeah. Yes, they have, but that's not to say that they will. My gut feeling, and it's ridiculous to do this because we commit this to to a recording, we put it out, and then it's going to be hung around our necks like a millstone forevermore if we blow it. But I think this feels different. Um, I mean, I know I, I texted you after every game last year, Phil, saying it became almost like a just a routine because I was scared of jinxing it. But Leeds are going to do it this year. But that was that was led by heart. This this year, I'm leading by head, and it just feels like we've got what it takes to get out of this division. I think they have mentally and. and- in terms of the tactics and performance they're definitely at the most shallow level they can afford to be at in terms of the number of centre forwards they've got I was mentioning the midfield against Cardiff if this injury with Forshaw becomes it is a problem for, for much longer it does feel like the light in that area and it does feel that there are bound to be points in the second half of the season where bodies are, are needed but you know he, he's great Bielsa at just juggling that and, and filling gaps for as long as they, they need to be filled for I do think they'll be okay I do think they'll be okay this season I think there are areas in which they could definitely be caught short because that's that is the way he works and that's the sort of squad that he that he always goes with but um, yeah I'll go back to what I said at the beginning I think they have got enough to go over the line but I'm not committing to saying that they definitely will mm. Michael Spry tweeted us actually on a similar point he said do we need an extra experienced body in midfield in January because he also felt we lacked an option off the bench at the weekend but it goes back to the classic Bielsa thing doesn't it of taking six weeks to get up to speed six weeks to get up to speed and also if he signed the midfielder and for sure got himself fit midway through January he would see absolutely no point in that midfielder being there he would see it as a problem because you'd have somebody who is now on the books who isn't going to play which is, is one of his pet hates I know they've spoken to him about whether he wants to sign another 
keeper, just in case you know there's an issue with Casilla and his, his racism ban, which is still in in the pipeline and, and still waiting to get sorted out. Um, he said no, and he's going to play, play Meslier. I think if they offered him another centre back, he wouldn't have that, regardless of the fact that it was straight towards the end on uh, on Saturday and and Casey towards the end at, at Huddersfield. It just is. It's just the way that he he is and. It's funny because I, I can't think of another manager I've come across at any stage who hasn't felt stressed about the size of the squad. I know Rosler did when when he was here. Um, most managers are always looking for transfers and signings and, and trying to bulk it up. Bielsa just doesn't seem bothered. And I honestly think if they tried to bring an experienced midfielder in, he would just say, I don't see the point. I don't see the point. All they're going to do is sit around, do nothing, not play. Um, it's it's just a complication. Don't do it. I think the way he'll see it is, well, Stuart Dallas is a central midfielder if I need him to be. And then Alioski is a left back or Brady is a right back and things can move around. And Shackleton. As long know. as Dallas stays fit, everything's fine. And yeah. anybody who wants to bring in an extra body up the running order in midfield should have to explain it to Robbie Gotts to his face. That would be Bielsa's <laughs> attitude. It's, it's, it's got an option off the bench now. He's If we needed to have freshened it up on Saturday, well, you would have thought maybe that was the time and against Cardiff. Yeah. I mean, I'm not entirely clear on what Gotts' best position is because I think mm. he's very good in, in several. He's uh, named the midfielders ahead of him, though, when he said, why well, can't he, get in? He's like, he I've did. got clear, yeah, got which, four sure. So which you made you think that there. that's where he, he would be playing him, although quite often the 23s, you do see him playing as a mm. fullback. But he is just, just massively versatile and, and can't quite get over the over the fence to, to make his debut. So, yeah, definite option. And I think if you, sp- if you spoke to Bielsa, he would probably prefer the idea of playing Gotts rather than having another centre mid come in. I mean, just off, off to for the sake of argument, if Housen was available and somebody said, why don't we get Housen in? Because then you've got another midfielder who can, can help you out. I think Bielsa would much rather just say, I'll stick with Gotts because Gotts has trained with us since the start of the season. He knows what I'm doing. I like him. He, you know, his, his fitness is excellent. Don't worry about house and don't spend the money. I think that's that's how it would go. <laughs> and you look for players like Daniel James who would definitely add something to the squad yeah. going forward, wouldn't you? It's, it's not it doesn't like to put sticking plasters over over minor injuries. Well, you'll have read the the phrase from Kinnear in the program on Saturday, which was well, the, the gist of what he was saying was we won't be signing anybody unless there are injuries or unforeseen circumstances which in brackets Arsenal to call Nketiah or as he put it I think the phrase was improbable exceptional opportunity improbable is probably the key word there highly unlikely to come to come up but it does relate to Dan James last last January the, the reason they were so disappointed about James wasn't because they thought the season was going to fall apart without him and I'm, I'm sure he would have made a difference but that wasn't really why they were signing him they were signing him because they were going to get him for 9 million at the end of the season if they went up and they thought that that would be an absolute steal for two, three, four years down the line. It was a longer term transfer and and a bit like Tyler Roberts, it was being done because they just thought it was a a good opportunity rather than thinking we desperately need Dan James in this team. So if something like that comes up, I guess the the recruitment team will try and mobilise again. But as much as they'll have money coming in from the Arsenal Cup tie and that will be worth, that'll probably be worth healthy six if not seven figure figure sum they don't have a lot of cash so in terms of somebody like Dan James I think it'd be difficult to get involved in a in a deal like that there's a lot of talk about Jared Bowen but they certainly won't have the money to to look at him seriously but yeah so I think I think that's pretty much how it'll go if Niketia leaves all bets are off and, and they're going to have to get busy with a, a striker but if not I'm not sure I see them doing anything it was interesting in your, your Costa piece that it was a, a choice in summer about Bowen or 
or Costa and Bielsa fervently wanted Costa but I think I wonder how many fans would actually be looking at their impact so far this season and thinking well Bowen yeah I, I mean I, I was I was going to say there it's that old thing of the players you don't have being better mm. than the ones that, that you do always except Bowen has scored so many goals and has, has made very decent impact over there so it wouldn't be fair to say that it's not like he's been out of Hull's team and we're sitting saying oh Bowen would have been a good signing but they'd have both cost a similar amount of cash they did look at Bowen but Costa was the one that Bielsa just said I want him and, and kept badgering them constantly and I don't think the way Costa's played you would say that's been a, a particularly huge mistake no. so far I just think the fact is they're both good players and if it had been Bowen instead of Costa I don't think that would have been a huge problem I guess Hull may have been a little bit less accepting of the structuring of the deal as well yeah. because obviously Wolves have got Premier League money and whereas Hull I think would want the more of it uh, up front absolutely and I think Wolves are happy to move Costa on whereas Hull are, are trying to cling to Bowen for better or, or worse he, I think his deal extends for another year so he's got another 18 months at, at Hull but they surely they need to sell him in, well, they've got to sell him in this window you would think otherwise it gets to next summer and the process that we've seen a hundred times here and other clubs starts again where contract starts to run down Bowen isn't going to sign another one value starts to drop and it all becomes a, a bit messy so West Brom I think will have a good go next month if they can I don't know how on earth they're going to structure that to pay for it if it's it's even possible in the first place but yeah there'll be people looking at him I guess the thing we're most anxious about is people not going out and the one in particular when we uh, asked for questions on Twitter was uh, about Ben White uh, yes. Andrew Dalton stats has been on uh, Andy Pye loads of others thank you for getting in touch asking will Ben White still be a Leeds player in February was he down in London talking to Chelsea this week no and I think I think somebody in time honours tradition created a tweet which said that I had said that he was in London for talks with Chelsea that thing of Ben White is in London for talks with Chelsea brackets the Athletic um, and he did fess up a few hours later and say I'm just pulling your legs everybody but you know it was enough <laughs> enough time to oh, let it get going hilarious it wasn't it funny yeah it's the only way I can see the only way I can see him going is if someone tables a massive offer for him but even all the noises from Leeds are that they think he'd be here till the end of the season and the noises from the Brighton end similarly seem to indicate that, that they think he will as well and given that we're what December the 19th now you would think that if somebody was about to go big on white and if somebody was was looking to get it done next month that Brighton would have wind of that by now and that it would be pretty clear that there was there was something going on so you never say never but yeah I think um, I think they'll be okay with that one Ben White has form for this as well didn't he stay at Newport rather than go back he was offered to get in the team with Brighton or uh, or loan to a, a club in a division above but he said now I came to Newport for the season so I'm going to see out the rest of it and help them try and get promoted yeah he saw it his, his full year down there and I would think he'd want to stay here we haven't seen him for a while in press conferences or, or whatever else so I don't know what, what he's thinking exactly but it would be hard for him to deny that this period has been great for him I mean it's brought him on so much and, and he's been great for Leeds as well so it's been a proper quid pro quo but yeah he, he I would imagine would be concerned about the idea of cutting this shot and then finding that by the summer he's hardly played and thinking, was that a really good idea? The caveat being that, you know, I've, I've said before that Liverpool are, are really keen and they've got, um, their talent scout is Andy O'Brien, who's the, the ex-Leeds defender who, from what I can gather, has been has been watching him constantly this season and I think recommending him pretty highly. If Liverpool bid for him, 
nothing to say that they will but if they do then you know virtually impossible to say no to that but I think I think this is all a lot a lot of supposition really I, I, I do think he will be here beyond January and you imagine that if we were to go up that Leeds would then make perhaps a serious play for keeping him and he might be keen to stay at Leeds yeah and they'd have the money to do it I think that's the crucial thing he, how much he would have been worth last summer I've, I've no idea but you've we'd probably been talking five six million pounds I mean Brighton will, will expect 20 plus for him now on the basis of how much they paid for Adam Webster but just the general value of, of top players by championship standards but Leeds go up they'd certainly be able to get involved in the conversation as, as Brian McDermott would have said um, and yeah I mean if, if he has a good season here and they do get promoted you, you would imagine he'd he'd be pretty keen but I'm still struggling to see why on earth Brighton would want to let him, let him go the way he's playing hmm. As an extension of that kind of going up issue Luke's asking do you know uh, the level of commitment from Bielsa in terms of after this season, will he stay on? Obviously, we wouldn't expect him to if we don't go up. No, um, he'll go if they don't go up and and I think all sides are very open to that. And I think all sides think that that's probably a pretty good idea given that in this division, it's got to have a limited shelf life, I think. If he goes up, there, there was a, an option in the contract uh, last season for Leeds to retain him from what I know I don't think there's a specific option in the contract as it stands at the moment for them to retain him at the end of the season but I wouldn't be concerned about that because I think if he wants to stay and he wants to to manage them in the Premier League then he will and that will be open to, to negotiation and the thing about Bielsa is if he wants to leave then he's going to leave because he's just not the sort of person who you can say to you've got a contract here you've got a commitment here you need to stay Leeds Bradford on the plane cheerio and the next thing you hear of him he'll be pictured at some game in Rosario or Buenos Aires mm. somewhere but I wouldn't I wouldn't be concerned about that if, if they don't get promoted yeah he'll, he'll be gone but I cannot for the life of me imagine that he'd put all this effort into getting Leeds into the Premier League and have the chance to start mixing with Klopp and Guardiola and so on and then just go home but if anybody was going to maybe, maybe he's the one <laughs> uh, On Bielsa then a question from Leo's in County Wicklow Hi lads, so seeing the last half hour against Cardiff at the weekend brings back memories of that nightmare against Derby last season. What importance does Bielsa and his team place on sports psychology? Have they looked at hiring external experts in the past or is it something that they discuss with the squad on a regular basis? I mean that point extends for what we were saying earlier about the mental toughness and the resilience of this squad and it feels like maybe it's a bit different have they placed a big emphasis on that they do but in in their own way that there isn't a specific sports psychologist in in the way that that some clubs employ them I I did ask him about this last season and he said that he's he's very big on it Bielsa he he thinks it is really important but he was aware too that that some clubs and I don't think he was talking about Leeds here at all but he, he some clubs are quite resistant to the idea of mind people coming in and, and trying to make a difference to what is essentially a sport played on grass. But it is crucial. And, and the number of clubs who do employ specific psychologists or, or people of that nature tells you that, that they think it's it's worth the money and, and it's worth having. I think his approach to psychology goes back to what I was saying about the constant drills and the, the repetitive nature of his training. It's the idea that everybody is so well drilled and everybody is, it's all so well rehearsed that they have total confidence in it and they know exactly what they're doing. There's no lack of assurance about what it is that they're supposed to do. And to a large extent, I kind of feel that when it goes south, like it did against Cardiff and also against Derby last season, Sometimes I don't think any amount of psych- psychological input would make a difference to that. I think sometimes you do just completely lose your nerve, which is what, what 
to my mind, what happened at, at Ellen Road, no matter what, what anybody says. But again, Cooper was talking about this and, and said that when they first started with Bielsa, there was that worry about, am I going to be up to it? Am I going to be able to cope with this? And also, is this even going to work? Is this all going to fall into place? And he said the more he thought about it, he just felt that teams who who press like they press and when he saw it working and, and training and, and all coming together teams who attack like they attack teams who retain the ball as much as Leeds retain the ball anybody who does that is going to win games and is going to get results and, and whether it's going to be enough to get you out of the league is another question altogether but I think the penny dropped pretty quickly for them to realise that they were suddenly going to be a good team and, and a very good team at that and I think that's pretty much how Bielsa hardens them and kind of conditions them for, for a long season but he is big on psychology and I think you know in the, the modern era of, of the way that, that backroom teams are constructed he has his, his own sort of very loyal lieutenants but I think he would totally understand people who do bring from the outside specific psychologists to work on that side of it and finally then in this bit Tom Sowerby is asking he says ask our Phil that's you if you ever get giddy when we score are there any press box limbs I must have told this story about the Bristol Rovers game where Richard Sutcliffe, ex-YP reporter, and I got a telling off from a colleague who was a Huddersfield fan for celebrating the Beckford goal when he get in, which was just difficult to avoid. It is bad form and you're not supposed to do it. And it's particularly bad etiquette at, at away grounds. It doesn't go back down particularly. <laughs> it doesn't go down well with people in the press box. It, you're liable to get a kick in at Millwall. I mean, there have been times at Millwall where I've had to pretend to be from the, the Daily Mail. There was one, or, or wherever, there was one game in Just particular. In. Well, yes. No, I, I, What's the most right-wing paper I can the, name? The Guardian, yeah. Um, the, there was a, one game down there, and it's ages ago now, it was about 12 years ago. I think it must have been the McAllister game when they won 2-0 down there, and it all got very heated round about the press box. And this guy was shouting to people in the press box saying, where are you from? Where are you from? And I did just say... and got a Scottish accent which helps but I did just say something like Daily Mail or, or The yeah. Guardian or, or whatever else so you know the, there are places where you, you it's not worth your life really to, <laughs> to do it but it is it is bad and, and you shouldn't do it and it's it's very very occasional but at the same time when the goals go in you do still think yeah. nice yeah I mean even as a man and we said this on when we had you on our podcast as well before we started this collaboration that you know you're a Hearts fan and that's where your your loyalties lie but you obviously you, you're one yes, of us d- now really dwindling yeah. rapidly <laughs> but, at the, at but you the are moment. But, you are uh, one of yeah, us now to yeah. an extent well yeah and, and also I, I say this to people all the time when, when it's your job and when it's all you do and you know it takes you home and away through the week and and everything else you do have a big vested interest in it actually going well as much as some of the the really chaotic periods were I don't know whether I should say they were fun to cover but they were fascinating to cover you do get to the point where you think everybody else is getting to cover Premier League football you know every other journal who I bump into on the local beat and you know are all getting their turn and I'm off to to Luton again so yeah (laughs) in your your Balotelli t-shirt why always me yeah Yeah. basically basically and you know they they tell me that they've still got the Ben and Jerry's fridge in the Arsenal press room I will report back on that um, in January when we've we've been down there so that's what we're after Yeah. yeah Bear the high life, yeah, absolutely. Well, fingers crossed. And I, I dare say you will possibly cheer a little bit if and when we get promoted at some point this season. 100%. 100%. And finally then, as we head out of this podcast and into Christmas, do have a lovely Christmas if you're celebrating as well across the coming week. We will be uh, we'll be podcasting, I think, Boxing Day around that time we're looking at yep. doing a show. Cool. Uh, around the Preston game. Phil, we need you to call a, a one to watch for this this upcoming game against Fulham. You know, your prediction ability is notorious now. Notoriously terrible. Two really. First one is West Brom and Brentford, which 
you know, somebody's going to take points off somebody in that game, potentially take points off, off each other. And, and I had noticed last week that Fulham were playing Brentford, which, as I said at the start of this podcast, is, is always a, a game where they seem to drop points or, or is always difficult for them. So so that's one to keep an eye on as it's it's all going on. But, I mean, the, the one to watch has got to be Tom Kearney, really. I've, I've written about him tomorrow and had a, a good look into the, the story. Because he, he, he feels a little bit like one who, who got away. I'd, th- there are lots of very good players who've gone from Leeds earlier than they should have done and, and players who were better than him but it's hard to think of one who's gone from Leeds and then has done damage to them you know as consistently as, as he has and I was thinking back more than anything to that ridiculous 96th minute equaliser and the, the, when, when Monk was here and that, that game in March where Leeds were going to pull 11 points away from them and they felt like the threat you know they felt like the team who who were going to get on a roll as, as they did and, and suddenly at the end of that night it was 8 points and it was still a good gap but it just wasn't you know it wasn't big enough and it was just like like a 20 yard putt that you know just top corner job from from the edge of the box with basically the last kick of the game and I mean he, he always said that he went from Leeds because he was too small he said he was 5 foot 1 and basically they said to him you're too little, you're not going to make it. But I had a chat, you know, on and off the record with a few people who were around at the time and, and they said that really what, what actually happened was that Kearney fell into a very good crop, a, a good squad that had a good crop of midfielders. So at the time they were playing Danny Rose as a number 10, even though he's, you know, he's, he's completely changed his position now. They had, if you remember, Michael Woods and Tom Tywo, the, the two players who Chelsea poached and were, eventually paid about five million quid compensation for who were, were very highly rated. Housen was on the scene. In terms of size as well, they, they did keep Josh Falkenham, who was always a tiny, tiny player. You know, he was kept on and got a scholarship, even though Kearney didn't. So I think there was there was far more to it than that. But I've always said he's he's one of the players I like most in the championship. I don't think he's been brilliant this season. I don't think he's been as good as as he was, certainly the year when he won the, the EFL Player of the Year award. But um he is a constant danger when Leeds are in town and you know people used to work with him think that he he enjoys hurting Leeds because you know he he got it in the back from them at the point where it was do you get a scholarship or or do you not so yes all eyes on him as well as the the front line which looks very dangerous on its day he's a player who always plays like he's got a point to prove against Leeds anyway Tom Kearney yeah he's he's grown to six foot as well so I mean you know not by any um, stretch small anymore but um, just a just quality midfielder great at pulling the strings scores goals creates goals he's, he's what you want and it was quite easy to see it's never quite happened but it's easy to see why there were there were always stories about Premier League clubs maybe taking a dabble with him at 10 million 50 million whatever he would have cost because he'd you know he'd be one that, that would be worth worth giving that chance to but yeah he'll, he could potentially be a problem on Saturday so keep eyes on him You can catch up with Phil's article on Tom Kenny and all the other stuff we've mentioned today across the podcast at The Athletic home of loads of free podcasts too including this one and get to theathletic.com right now and subscribe with a 40% discount use the code Leeds Pod have a nice Christmas and we'll speak to you afterwards Merry Christmas gents Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.